Man, it's the end of summer. Summer, it's July 29th. Summer is wrapping up quickly, right? It's, it's going quick. I know all the teachers are like, can you, can you shut up, please? Because I don't want this to end. I don't want to go back to school. But um, I, yesterday, I kind of um, like realized, like had a little taste of just how quick like life in general goes, right? So yesterday, um, one of my good friends got married. It was a, it was a beautiful wedding. He, it was a cool Christ-centered wedding. It was really cool to get to go be a part of. But my friend who got married, uh, I met him when I was in soccer buddies, when I was like four, like, you know, where like, there's no, there's no goals. You just kind of, kids just awkwardly like walk around the grass together with soccer balls. And I met him there when I was like four years old. So it was cool getting to go to his wedding, but I can like vividly remember meeting him. Like I remember very clearly what that was like. Like, will you be my partner? Yeah, sure. And here we are, you know, 20 through, I don't know, the math. That's a lot of math to do this quick, but it was cool to think about that. And so I kind of saw the quick span of time because in the morning, uh, my wife and I went to the, um, the place where they put jelly on your stomach, and we got to find out the uh, gender of our child uh, yesterday that we're finding. Yeah. Yes. You're so pumped, Sherry. Yes. Yeah, we're pretty stoked. Do uh, you guys want to know what the gender is? Yeah. It's a little baby boy. Yeah. So we, we had a whole list of girl names and boy names. We got nothing. So Number one is current, it's the current contender, so we'll see what happens. Boy number one, that's the current name. But no, we've been going through this, this series in James, and it's, it feels like it's been flying by. And if you've been here, I hope it's been challenging to you. It's been challenging to me, and I mean that. James has a lot to say about the things that we, the words that we say and the things that come out of our mouth. And I stick my foot in my mouth a lot, and so it's been very real uh, for me. But I hope it's been challenging for you. You can check it out online if you've missed any of it. But we've been talking about how this book of James is written by a guy named James, who's actually Jesus' little brother. And he's writing to people who are in poverty, who are in persecution, who are going through a lot of hardships. The church is kind of becoming this thing a couple thousand years ago. And he's writing to people, praying that they'll have a faith that works, and kind of talking, th- talking them through what a faith that works looks like. And so as we've been kind of going through this, we've talked about all kinds of different things. And I think one, one big takeaway with this, with this series that we want to kind of drill into is that sometimes we come to church and we, we sing songs and we high five each other and we pray and listen to this, this like TED talk for 45 minutes. And it's great. But then we go into life and there's like confusing stuff. There's a doubt. There's pain. There's the realities of different things. And sometimes we're not sure how those pieces like always go together, Right. And so our hope for this series, as we wrap it up today, is that those, we'd help put those pieces together, that we'd have a faith that works, that we'd take all this church stuff from being just an idea, from being a vague concept, to a reality. We want to take it from being just a vague concept to a reality. And so we're going to keep digging into this uh, this morning, and I'm just going to talk about just d- two big things. And under those two things are a couple other things, so I don't want to trick you. But there's two, two main things that I want to talk about, and I'll just give it to you. I want to talk about patience. And James is writing to us about patience, and he's writing to us about prayer, which being an upcoming father, I could use a lot of both, and so it's very helpful for me. But we're going to walk, walk through this. Two, the two big ideas are patience or prayer, and I think he has so much um, to say about this, but so we'll go ahead and jump right on in so we can get you guys out for lunch. But if you guys want to open your Bibles to page 979, we'll be in there. Those are the blue Bibles in the back of the chairs. You can take that with you. Uh, that's our gift to you, but you only get one. Some of you people take like a hundred of them. What are you doing? I'm just kidding. You can take them. You can take them. But James 5, uh, 7 through 8 says this. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. As I've been going through this, like, 
try, try not to be like a cultural critic here, but patience is hilarious. Like patience is a very funny thing for people that live in America, right? Like we want everything quicker and faster. And so patience is just a funny, funny concept. I'm a very impatient person. Very, very impatient. I have a good friend who is extremely patient and it's insane working together sometimes. I'm a very impatient person. You can ask my wife. She will quickly validate that I'm very impatient. But I think our culture is a very impatient culture. Like we want everything very snappy. And so here are my three quick cultural uh, observations about quickness. So I realized, because I'm a big sweet tea connoisseur, I'm always going through McDonald's getting sweet tea, just kind of like water for me. You think I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I drink a lot of sweet tea. Then I go through and I saw this little sticker at McDonald's that now you can order your fast food ahead of time. As the, the, the go line isn't quick enough, you can text your order earlier through the McDonald's app. So you're just cruising through the line with your hand out the window and you just nab the bag as you're going. And if you don't like that, there's Domino's Pizza is working on a campaign that you can literally just tweet the pizza emoji and they'll, they'll have your pre-made order ready and they'll deliver it to you. That easy, just tweet the pizza. And this one is some big, some big technology that's coming out is that they're working on drones that will deliver your Chipotle. So you don't have, so those deliver it. That was a big problem we were having. I didn't know where our society was headed, but I'm feeling pretty good now that we figured that situation out. But the people, (laughs) I thought about this last service. The people in the Chipotle, like you people who order ahead, you always look unhappy because you got to wait in line too. Like I'm over here in line and you ordered ahead and you're still waiting in line. Only difference is you didn't see how much meat they put on there. I saw how much meat they put on there. But, but our life, everything is so sped up, right? And I don't know if it's always helpful for us. I remember being a kid and the best song in the world came out like late 90s, early 2000s. That's The Middle by Jimmy Eat World. Do you guys know The Middle by Jimmy Eat World? Oh my gosh, you're like last service. It's the best song ever. It just takes some time, little girl, you're in the middle of the... You guys know that song? It was the best song ever. It came out late, 2000, or late 90s, early 2000s, and I was a Christian kid, and so I only got my music from the Christian bookstore, not from Best Buy or Napster or anything. So I would sit around and wait for the, my stereo, on, like the radio, I'd wait for it to play The Middle by Jimmy E. World. And I, I sat there with my Walkman, where you could hit record and you could capture, I could record could record it. And so I would wait. I was just waiting around, waiting for this to come on. I, I remember this very vividly. It was July, it was summer. I wanted the middle by Jimmy Eat World. And I was in brushing my teeth one night. Mm, like your toothbrush. I'm in there brushing my teeth. And I hear the song start. Hey, don't let yourself off yet. It's a, go listen to it. We're going to play it. Can we play that song as everybody leaves? That'd be great. And, and I run in, I grab my Walkman and I record it and I get like 45 seconds of the song. And this is no lie. I spend the whole summer listening to this 45 second section of the middle by Jimmy Eat World. I'm like, this song is so good. Fast forward to today. I have Spotify. I have every, literally every song at my fingertips. And I'm like, yeah, there's nothing to listen to. I don't know. I don't know what to listen to. Like, in that life, though, in that, like, technology, you're like, we got to speed it all up, make it easier, better, but I don't know if it always helps. I don't want to be, like, a cultural critic, but I think the speed at which life kind of happens kind of starts to affect our souls a little bit, right? Because we, we want everything now, we want it all quick, and so our expectations for situations, it needs to happen quick, it needs to happen fast, and so, especially when calamity happens, we're like, okay, let's get to the ending really quick, and sometimes, because we live in a culture that's so quick, it feels almost impossible to interact with a God who isn't overly concerned with everything happening tomorrow. That God isn't like snappy, get this done. So sometimes it's hard for us to interact with God that way, right? And so James is writing to people who are struggling. He's writing to people who are in in, in poverty and he's writing to people who are in persecution. And he's saying, be patient. 
He's telling them to be patient. I'm thinking about this, like, sometimes we think patience is just like a nice trait. Like, it'd be nice if my husband could be a little bit more patient. And I'm sure you're right. I'm sure he could be a little bit more patient. We all could be a little bit more patient. But I think what, what James is writing about isn't a, a nice little personality trait, but I think patience is the way in which we interact with God. I think that patience is about trusting God even when it feels like he isn't working at all. It's about trusting God in the silence. It's about trusting God in the mundane. It's about a faith that works. So how, how do you become patient? All right, son, how do you become patient? Well, just be patient. It's not that easy, right? I think, I think we'll say it this way. I think we have the proper perspective that helps us with patience. We'll say it this way, that I'm, we find patience in light of our perspective. Put a little flow chart under there for you. We find patience in light of our perspective, that the way we look at things, the way in which we look at things helps shape our patience. A couple years ago, six years ago, when do you stop saying a couple and you say the number? Six years ago, uh, a good friend and I went on a road trip. We went on a road trip. He's actually here in from Colorado. And we went on a road trip uh, years ago. And while we're on this road trip, we want to go to this place in California called Big Sur. Is anybody familiar with Big Sur? Oh, perfect. No one. <laughs> Two of you. No, so, so we want to go to this place called Big Sur. It's, it's in California. It's beautiful. We like see Google pictures of it. And it's this beautiful blue oceany place. And so we're driving out on the far coast of California. We want to go to Big Sur. And we have, I thought it was Google Maps, but it's probably like a Tom Tom. You know, it's like maybe MapQuest directions. And we were trying to find Big Sur. And we're like, did we pass it already? Is it farther? Should we go back? And so we went to this little in bed and breakfast place. And we asked them, we're like, hey, is, is Big Sur this way? Do we, do we pass Big Sur or do we need to go back a minute? And they literally like laughed at us. And they're like, you're going to be on Big Sur for the rest of the day. Big Sur is this like 80 to 90 stretch of beautiful coastline. I think I have a picture of it. Yeah, iPhone 4. That photo's off an iPhone 4. And this is what Big Sur is. We, we, went, we thought Big Sur was just this little place. We're like, oh, we're going to stop by Big Sur, take a picture and carry on with our lives. And we're like, Oh, Big Sur is, is it's way different than what we expect. Our perspective changed, right? We thought it was this. And we're like, oh. And I think that per, and perspective helps shape our patience. And so for James writing to these people who's writing about a faith that works, what gives us the perspective that leads to patience? And I think it's two things. I think the first thing is God's promises. That God's promises, God's promises give us perspective. That his promises change the way in which we look at a situation. God's promises change the way in which we interact with the pain in life. God's promises change our perspective. James 5, 7 through 8 says this again. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That as he's writing these people, he's saying, just just hold on. Just be patient because Jesus is coming. Be patient. We have this promise of eternity. We have this promise of hope with Jesus. Just be patient and just hang on. I know that you're in poverty. I know you're in persecution. I know you're having a tough go, but be patient. So we have this promise of eternity. And the reality is, I don't think we, as Westerners, again, I don't think we think about eternity very often, right? I don't really think we need to sometimes. Like we have Siri, we have Alexa, we have foam pillows, we have Netflix, we have cruise control, we've got Tylenol, we've got helicopters that deliver Chipotle. Like life is great. 
Like we're fine. Until we get that phone call or until that relationship finally breaks or until the diagnosis comes in more tough than we thought it was going to or until you get fired at the place you've worked your entire life or until your children stop talking to you or until we relapse again and we're like, you know what? I really hope that there's something beyond this life. I hope all this Jesus stuff is true because while I was trying to pad myself in the realities of life and not really thinking about eternity, it just so happens that life is a pretty tough place to be. And there's this hope of heaven. There's this promise of eternity with Jesus. There's this picture in Revelation 21. It says this. It says, As I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. He's writing to these people and saying, hold on, Jesus is coming. We have this promise to look forward to. We're not at the end of the book. Chipotle helicopters don't signify the end of the book. The promises of Jesus wiping away tears, wiping away death, where the old is gone, the new has come. That's the promise that we have to hold on to. And sometimes in the church, we just sing about it like it's some nice gold retirement home. When we all get to, and it's just going to be like nice. But it's not just nice. This is a promise that Jesus will heal all things, that he will dwell forever with his people, that will no longer wait, will no longer wander, but will see by sight what we've lived by faith and will forever be in unity with Jesus and he'll heal all things. Where do I sign up? You know, I remember, I remember seeing a picture of this when I was in high school. I lived, um, lived in Doylestown. You can't miss it. Well, you can miss it very easily. It's very small. But I lived there and, and in Doylestown, there's this farm road by my house and we used to drive up there and hang out up there and write sappy high school love songs up there and all kinds of stuff. It's this road I love to hang out on. And I'd go up there and write angsty songs. And one night I was sitting up there and it was, it was probably midnight or something. And I'm sitting up there and I see these headlights coming and I'm, I'm a squirrely individual. I'm not a very tough guy. So I don't, if you're going to hurt me, do, please don't. If, you, if, if we get in a fight, I promise you, you will win. I will not win. Dogs bite me all the time. I'm, just, I'm very squirrely. And so these headlights start coming and I'm like, I'm out. And so I, I drive, I pass this car and this car whips around and it starts following me. It starts flashing its lights at me. I'm like, oh no, please. And I'm like, and I'm like I'll just get off the road and this, I don't know if it's a crazed farmer who it is. I don't know. I'm like, they'll leave me alone. I just got to get off this road. And so I get on the highway and he starts following me all the way around Doylestown. So it's like a total of four and a half minutes of him following me. But, but he's following me and I'm like, I'm nervous. And I'm like, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't like confrontation. I don't know what Mr. Farmer Lewis is going to say to me or hurt me. So I'm like, it's scared. It's like midnight and I'm a squirrely little kid and I don't know what to do. I'm like, I'm just going to call my dad. My dad loves getting midnight phone calls and waking up. I'm like, I'm just going to call my dad. So I'm driving and I'm like, I'm, I know it sounds stupid. I'm scared. I'm like scared of what this man is going to do. He's like tailgating me, flashing his light. I'm like, I call dad. I'm like, dad, it's Aiden. Who is this? It's Aiden. <laughs> he does not wake up well. <laughs> but I'm like, dad, this guy is following me and I'm not sure what to, I don't, he's like, just drive back home. 
Just drive back home. We'll take care of it. Just drive back home. And so I'm somewhere out in the middle of Doylestown. It all looks the same after the sun goes down. And so I'm driving and then I'm pulling back onto my street and all the, all the houses are dark except for our house is, looks like, looks like 4th of July meets Christmas or something. My lights are, so I'm driving down the street and I'm almost home. Almost home. And as I'm pulling up, my, I said this three times, so no offense, but my dad's not a very like big guy. He's not like a big tough guy. He's very nice. We're nice people. We're not tough people. And I'm pulling up to the house and it's like all lit up. My dad's just standing there like seven and a half, eight feet tall. And the lights on the porch are just, I think he plugged in some shop lights to make it more <laughs> dramatic. He's just standing there like this. And he's got, this is no joke. He's got a baseball bat leaned up against the side. Like, what are you doing with a baseball bat? He's like, come here. It's like Negan from The Walking Dead, which is the baseball bat on the porch. And I just pull in and this car just, just takes off. I'm like, whew. Yeah, it gets pretty dangerous in Doylestown when farmers drive around after you. But I was scared. And the whole time, I'm just thought, I just need to get home. If I just get home, dad's going to take care of this. Either with a bat or whether saying, hey, sorry, my son was lost. Whatever happens, dad's going to take care of it when I get back. And I think that's a picture of the promise that we have as we walk through life, as we walk through situations that don't make sense, as we walk through situations that force us to be patient, uncomfortably patient, that we have this promise that's not just streets of gold and unlimited Wi-Fi that actually connects, but we have this hope that Jesus will make all things new, that our Father is going to take care of this. I think about these promises for the people that James is writing to, these people that have been struggling, these people who he starts off the book saying, when you encounter trials, consider it joy. They're like, thanks, James. Thanks for the, he's writing to these people I think about the promises of that, of the promises that give perspective. There's just a couple promises of God that I wrote down that are found in the book of James, that we've hit some of these as we've gone through this series. In the book of James, we see God's promises that God will draw near as we draw near, that he gives grace to the humble, that we'll be blessed when we endure temptation. I love this. There's no shadow of turning in him, that God gives us wisdom when we ask, and that God never changes. So promises that we can anchor our hope to, that we anchor our lives to, promises that are found in God. That if we need to be patient, we need to have the proper perspective to help us with patience. What gives us perspective? It's God's promises. And I think it's also God's character. That God's character gives us perspective. And so if you're keeping up with our little math problem here, Outlines aren't my strong suit. But promises and character, that when we look, when we look at our situation, when, we're, when we need patience, we're walking through, James is saying, hey, be patient. As we interact with God, with the realities of life, our proper perspective comes from God's promises and God's character. I love James 5, 10 through 11 says this. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count blessed those who have persevered. I love that. I love that. He, he starts off this letter. He's like, consider it pure joy when you walk through trials. And he walks through this whole thing. And I love in the last chapter of his letter, he's like, as you know, as we previously covered in the first section here, we count blessed those who have persevered. <laughs> that suffering, that patience is part of the menu. Like it's, it's coming. 
He said, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord has finally brought about. I love this. He's talking about patience. He's talking about trusting God and suffering. He's, he's writing these people. Puts a period. And then he says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Don't let that just be a phrase today. But God's character gives us perspective. Many times we separate. We separate the, the, real, the personality of God, the heart of God, from kind of the stuff we do at church. Like we come sing about the cross, and we clap, and we do the two-step. And we, forget, we, and we, we think that's, that's one thing. And then when, when life hits the fan, and we're figuring things out, and we're walking through struggles, we're walking through hardships, we're walking through situations that do not make sense. We're like, God, where are you? God, do you hear me? God, are you with me? And sometimes we separate those two things. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And I think we see this clearest in the picture of Jesus. I love Colossians 1.15 says this, that the Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. I love this other passage in Hebrews. It says the Son that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. As we walk through life, we want to trust God's character. What is, what is God like? What does he look like? What does he think about me? Look to Jesus. We look to Jesus to see the character of God. And if you spend some time in the Gospels and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, we see him interacting with all kinds of people. We see his character and ultimately the character of God that he meets us in our brokenness, that he meets us in our questions, that he loves us, even when our best intentions, even when our best shot, even when it fails, that he meets us there, that he intently cares for us, that we have a savior who, who weeps with us in our pain, who's no stranger of what it means to weep by the graveside of a friend because Jesus himself has done it. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what you walked in thinking about God, and I think this, that in his faith that works, we want everything to go from being a vague idea to a reality, right? We want this vague idea of God, because I'll tell you what, this vague idea of God, that God is the big man upstairs and he's nice and when stuff gets hard, we'll shoot up some emails. Like this vague idea of God doesn't hold up when life really hits the fan. When you get that phone call, when you get that diagnosis, when, when, the, when the divorce has happened, when life hits you, vague God isn't going to help. It's not going to help because who really knows what vague God thinks? But when we look at the reality of the gospel, when we look at the reality of what the Bible says, that we don't have some vague God, but we have a God who understands us. We have a God who walks with us. I love this word in this passage for the Lord is full of compassion. It's a Greek word that is called, the word is oikotirmon. I'm not a Greek scholar. Dan told me that word, but it's irkoma. It means to express visceral compassions or experiencing deep pity as God has for people who look to him for help in difficult situations. Two of the biggest verses that I find hope in that when I have questions about stuff, when I have doubts about stuff, what well, my anchor kind of holds to, I'm like, I don't know about all this stuff. But what I know is that God is full of compassion and mercy. I love these two verses. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. And I love this one too. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, 
yet did not sin. I don't know if you grew up in church, if you grew up in America, and this whole thing of Christmas and God coming to us as a person is just kind of like, yeah, it's Tuesday. God, you know, he created the world, showed up as a baby. Like, there's so much hope found in there. Because like I said, abstract God, this vague idea of God isn't going to help when the going gets tough. But when we have a God who shared with us in our humanity, who empathizes with us in our weakness, yeah, I want that God. Sign me up with that God. Who whether I'm walking through, through a situation where I got a phone call and I didn't think the diagnosis was going to go this way, whether I'm walking through a divorce or marital questions or walking through infertility or walking through anxiety or walking through depression or walking through doubt, no matter what it is we're walking through, don't give me vague, abstract, nice God. Give me real God who shares with me in my humanity, who shares in our suffering with us. Give me that God. And it just so happens, I've got him for you. His name is Jesus. And we have fellowship with him in our sufferings. We have fellowship with God in our sufferings. Philippians 3, it talks about a guy named Paul's writing and he's saying, I want to know Christ and I want to know him crucified and I want to share with him in his sufferings. That there's this intimacy with Jesus in our sufferings. I've pulled a lot, about, a lot of this uh, sermon from an art article and that this guy wrote, it's beautiful. And he talks about, he, he has this breathing problem. And so he knows what it's like to like struggle to, to catch his breath. And he was saying about how when he meets someone who has that same struggle, there's this instant connection. There's this thing that bonds them, never meeting the person, but it bonds them. What? It's the suffering. You're like, yeah, I know what it's like. I know what you've been through. This, uh, you're probably like, dude, would you chill out? Like, this is heavy. <laughs> but I, I feel like this is with a lot of conversations I've just been having with close friends and and people in my office, and just knowing some of your stories. Like, I feel like this is where a lot of us are at, and if we're not here today, the phone call comes quick, right? My, my wife and I and our family have been, have been walking through this this summer. We, we found out that we were going to be pregnant, and we're like, this is cool, this is great. And, and, and two weeks later, we got a phone call, that her mom has cancer and it's, it's, it's pretty far down the road. Didn't see this one coming. And she's beautiful and she's healthy. We got this phone call. And you're like, that's the situation that's happening now? And trust me, every, every stage of questions and, and anger and, 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 and doubt and just reality, it's happened. And we're, we're trusting God, we're trusting in his faithfulness, we're trusting in his goodness. And we're so thankful for this church body. And there's one of the, the thing that's been probably most helpful early on, one of the most helpful things, was there's a lady in the church who's walked through a similar situation at, at a young age, having a sick parent. And Sarah called her and talked to her for hours. Because this person, this person knew exactly what it was like. This person has been in those, in, the, in those shoes, has been in that place, has had that struggle with God. And there was an intimacy there. There was a, a, a tightness there, not in an abstract way, but in a very real way. That's like, you're suffering this way? Yeah, I've suffered this way too. 
not an abstract thing, but a very real thing. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you believe about God. Abstract God is not the God I'm talking about. The God I'm talking about is Jesus Christ who walks where we walk, who suffers in our place for us, who suffers with us, who's shared in our humanity, and we have fellowship with Jesus in our sufferings. He's like, I know, I know what that means. I know how it hurts. I'm not a vague God who loves you. No, I'm here with you. I know what it's like. Think about when Jesus, he took our sin for us, everything, all the pain that we've caused, all the suffering that we've caused, that he took on himself. He nailed it to the cross, buried it in the grave when he rose again. You know how his disciples knew it was really him? Because he still had the scars on his hands. He's like, no, it's really me. See these scars? Think about how Jesus has ascended to heaven, still bearing the scars of this earth. What a fellowship, right? What a fellowship with God. What a fellowship that I don't know, I'm not quite sure why things happen. And you, you're probably in here and you could be like, man, if you even knew what my family is going through, if you even knew what we've walked through, the pain, the torment, the cruelty, if you even knew, I don't know. But what I do know, I don't know, but what I know is that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And our patience is trusting in a God whose character is full of compassion and mercy and whose promises are outside of this world or outside of the torments and pain of this world as well as right in the dirt of this world. That's the God we trust in. So I told you that we're going to hit patience and that we're going to hit prayer. So how do we interact with this God? How do we interact with this God? That in light of our fellowship with him, in light of his character, in light of his promises, in light of the realities that, and the struggles that each and every one of us are walking through, in light of all those things, we pray to God. Prayer isn't this, sometimes it's just this nice, like, pray for those ravioli. That's fine. We could, we could go through, we've done it, months of prayer, going through series talking about prayer. But today I just want to talk about this relational aspect of prayer that we have. And sometimes, I, know, I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. And these, these are three ways that I think a lot of us struggle with prayer. For some of us, we're like, what's the point of praying? Because God's going to do whatever he's going to do, because he's sovereign and good. And I trust that, so what's the point of praying? He's going to do it, right? Like some of us struggle with that. Some of us, when we pray, we feel like we're doing like a chess game with God, like, I'm going to pray for this, but I'm not going to pray for this, because if I pray for this, he might do this. And if he does this, I'll have to pray for this. I don't pray for that, because that's going to have to make me pray. We feel like we're playing chess with God, or at least checkers. I don't know. And for some of us, if we're just honest, like it feels like sometimes we're just ships in the night with God, you know, like you're walking through a season, and you're praying for these things, and you're praying for these, and then this thing happens, and you're like, oh, you must not hurt me. Pastor uh, Christian, he's a very beautiful bearded man. He's our county line campus pastor. And he doesn't really know how iMessage works, apparently. <laughs> but he, he would text me. There was this like week or two when he would text me and I would get his text. And I would text him back. But he wasn't getting my text back. And so then he wasn't texting me back. And we're like, are you getting, are we ta- I thought we talked to, and we're just kind of like ships in the night, right? Sometimes that's how prayer feels. 
And I think James gives us some insight. James gives us some pictures of prayer that I think are, there's a lot in here. This next passage we're going to look at, I feel like we could talk about this for years. But this is what James says to these people that he's writing to, to these people who are in poverty and who are in persecution and who he's trying to instruct on a faith that works. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's not a lot in there, is there? It's a pretty simple passage to digest, right? That was sarcastic. But there, there's so much in here. And I love the way that a guy named Matt Chandler says it. That in light of this fellowship, in light of this, this relationship with God, it's a very deep theological term that he says, but he says, get in here. I love that. And as a picture of prayer, he's just like, get in here. Are you in trouble? Are you sick? Are you happy? Are you insane? Like, just get in here. I think about when I was driving from this crazed farmer, and I'm like, I just need to call my dad. I could just call him. I could enter his presence. Hebrews says, we boldly approach the throne of grace because of Jesus. He says, get in here. And there's four different areas he looks at here. He says, are you in trouble? Are you in trouble? Get in here. Come in. Have fellowship with me, the God of this character, the God of these promises. Get in here. Are you in trouble? Did you blow it? Are you in a hard place? Talked to some people recently and it's just like, I don't know what to do next. I have no idea what to do next. God's saying, bring that to me. Get that in here with me. I love this quote by a guy named Dallas Willard. I've asked my wife if that could be one of the boy names. She shot it down very quickly. Dallas, that's a great name. Dallas Willard, Finn. It doesn't sound as cool with Finn on the end of it. But he has this quote that says, God's office is at the end of our rope. Isn't that good? God's office is at the end of our rope. Are you in trouble? Pray, bring that in here. I love this. Are you happy? (laughs) You're like, geez, kid, thank you. Are you happy? Are things going well? Have you seen God's faithfulness? He says, sing songs of praise. Sing songs of praise. We, my wife and I were coming back from this place where they tell us the gender of our kid, and we're, we're just excited. And so we put on some, some music. We were doing the two-step right there in the car. We were, we were pumped. We were singing. Are, are, you, are you happy? Are things going well? Have you seen God's faithfulness? Have you seen his goodness? Have you seen your life change? Have you seen life change? Have you seen addiction stop? Have you seen lives recovered? Have you seen marriages restored? Have you seen people who are far from Christ come back? Have you seen his faithfulness? Have you experienced his goodness? Sing songs of praise. I'm the music guy around here, like, I help lead the worship. And can I say this? If, if this is where you're at, can you sing a little bit louder for us? As, as, as we gather, we, we're bringing our weeks, we're bringing our struggles, we're bringing our joys, and we're all collectively being reminded of the goodness of God as we sing. And so if you have seen God's faithfulness, could you sing a little louder? Because the person next to you may really need to hear it. They may really need to hear it. 
Are you in trouble? Are you happy? It talks about, are we in sin? Are you guilty? Are you hiding? Are you concealing things? Are you carrying the weight of sin? If you're like, man, these things I've done or thought or said, like I don't want, I guess got to hide it. And he's like, no, let's not do that. Let's drag it into the light. Let's confess it to God, confess it together. We'll find forgiveness in Jesus. We come to the basin of grace. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. And there's hope in in confessing our sins together because the reality is what you think is just you is everyone. So grab your two close friends and talk about it because it's not just you, but we have this basin of grace that we can come to Jesus with our sin, trusting that he'll forgive us. That's the gospel, right? Are you in trouble? Are you happy? Are you in sin? And kind of the the elephant in the passage, if we're being honest, is this, are you sick? It's kind of the elephant in this passage. And this has honestly been a hard thing to to kind of process through. But I think sometimes when when it comes to church and sick and pray for me because I'm sick, some of us, I I think sometimes we could fall into two different camps. Like we can be like, "Ah, I stubbed my toe. Call the elders, get the oil. I stubbed my toe. It's terrible. And that's fine. And then on the other side, sometimes we're like, yeah, God doesn't do anything miraculous. He's not going to do anything. We're just kind of cynical. Yeah, we're just not going to pray for that. And we kind of just do away with this passage together. But if I'm reading it right, I think what James is saying is not just you, but your family, the church body, get in here. Bring this to me. Thinking, thinking through this, I think, I think when, we're, when we're faced with this, I ask myself, can, can, can God heal anything? The, the brother conquered the grave. Like, he's fine. He can heal anything, right? And I don't think him conquering the grave was that hard of a feat for him. I think it was just a Tuesday. Do we believe that God can heal anything? I, do, I struggle to believe that, but I believe it's true. When I look at the gospel and look at the power of who God is, I believe it's true. I believe he has the ability and can heal anything. I do. We pray that for my mother-in-law. I believe he can. Do we believe that he will? I think we're instructed to believe that he will and pray like he will. Because the truth is one day he's going to. He can. He will. One day he's going to heal everything. That's what we just talked about. It's the promise. That's why we're not at the end of the book. We're in the middle of the book. One day he will heal everything. Everyone will be restored. No more tears for those that put their faith in Jesus. We have new life in Jesus with our Savior forever in unity with God. He will heal everything. No more phone calls. No more questions. No more heartbreak. He will heal everything. Can he? Yes. Will he? Yes. Does he heal everything right now? It sure doesn't look like it, right? And is, can we be honest? That's where all this tension lies, right? What's the point of praying? He's going to heal it. We're instructed to, but if the person still... I think he's calling us, get in here. Bring it to me. He can. He will. There's a story in the Old Testament by, there's three guys. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Already run those boy names by my wife. She wasn't a fan. <laughs> if you watched Veggie Tales as a kid, their names were Shack, Rack, and Benny. But there's a story of these guys, and they're in, they're in a land in, in the Old Testament. 
This is before Jesus showed up as a baby in the Old Testament. They were in a land that did not believe that our God was the one true God. There's three guys, Shadrach and Benny, they were in this land. And the king said, I'm gonna make a decree that everybody who doesn't bow down to this big bronze idol is gonna get tossed in a furnace. And you thought you had a bad day. You get cooked in this giant microwave, crispy. And they're like, we're not gonna do it. We're not, not gonna do it. We, we believe that our God is God. We believe that he's faithful. We're not gonna bow down to fake idol God. And he's like, okay, cool, double or nothing. Let's crank the fires up. How about now? And they're like, we will not. He's, the king's like, do you really think your God's gonna deliver you? And this is what these guys say. They say, I believe he can. We believe that he will. But even if he doesn't, we're going to be faithful to the God who is faithful. We're going to trust the promises of God. Throws them in. And the guards look into this giant toaster oven. And they're like, oh, shoot. These guys aren't, these guys aren't dead. They're fine. And there's a fourth person in there with them. And this is, this is debated. It doesn't say Jesus, but in the Old Testament, we see different pictures that a lot of biblical scholars and people think is Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think this is a picture of Jesus. Because what is more representative of Jesus than to show up in the fires of our pain and to show up in the fires of reality? That sounds a lot like Jesus. But they're trusting his faithfulness, trusting his goodness. He can he will, and even if he doesn't. Gosh, what a prayer, right? What a prayer. So I'm going to invite Ryan and the guys to come out. I, I, I've talked to a lot of you guys with some of these different things, and there's, there's a lot going on in this body, right? Like, that's life. Like, life is not for the faint at heart. That there's, there's sickness, that there's extreme marital trouble, that there's anxiety, that there's depression, that there's uncertainty, that there's careers that feel endless, that there's children who've gone wayward, that there's addiction. There's all this stuff. It's not hard to find. Turn on CNN. It's everywhere. But sometimes I talk to a lot of us and we come to church and, and the week was insane. The week was full of all this stuff, but we come to church and, and for some reason in our interaction with God, we're just like, feel like we have to be really like polite. Like we're at our grandparents' house. We're like, hello, God. Aiden here. Nice to meet you. Um, had a little tough go this week. Um, you know what I mean? And we feel like we don't, we can't actually interact with God. We feel like we can't be honest with God. And that is why I'm very glad that the Psalms exist. Me and my wife have had the book of Psalms open on our bedstand for the last two months. Because Psalm 22, a guy named King David, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, says he's a man after God's own heart. This is how he prayed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer by night. I find no rest. I think you're fine, to be honest with God. I'm just trying to be biblical here. I think you're fine. Because King David prayed this prayer, but you know who else prayed this prayer? As he hung on the cross for your sin, for my sin, for a completely perfect God, 
all-powerful, created the world, came to the earth, grew up, died on the cross for you and me, hung on the cross. And as he shared in our humanity, he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think with the anchor of God's promises, with the anchor of the hope of the cross, with the anchor of God's character that he's full of mercy and compassion, I think we can be honest with God. Because the same guy who wrote Psalm 22 is the same guy who wrote Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though even though we walk through infertility, even though we walk through death, even though we walk through suffering, even though we walk through phone calls that I didn't think were gonna end this way, even as we walk through those, fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. Not abstract God, not random Bible verse on a placemat God, the God who shares in our humanity, the God who suffers with us, the God who we find fellowship with is the one who is with us. So I don't know, I don't know where, where, I don't know everybody in here. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you're, you're at a place where you're like, man, I'm, I'm happy. I've seen the faithfulness of God. I've seen his goodness. Sing a little louder because we need you. We need you to sing louder. I don't know if, I don't even know if you believe in God. I don't know if this whole sick thing is what keeps you from even believing. I don't know. I don't know if you're like, I don't, I don't really know where I stand for this whole God thing. I just came with my girlfriend and my mom because they made me come to church. Don't, I don't want you to hear me up here saying that God is a nice guy and if we kind of behave the right way, things might go smoothly. Just call me, let me know how that works. Let me know how quick that shifts on you. What I want you to know is that there's a God who has died in your place that you might have a right relationship with him, that you might be able to run boldly into his presence, into the throne room of grace, that while you're running from a crazed farmer, you can call him and say, dad, I don't know what to do. And he says, get in here. Are you in trouble? Get in here. Are you sick? Get in here. Get in here. That's the God that we have. There's a, I promise we're going to sing a song in a second. There's a little book that my wife and I keep on the side of our bedstand. It's called The Valley of Vision. It has a very 1980s cover on it. But it's a collection of prayers from Puritans from like 500, 600 years ago. And it's, as we read these from time to time, it's interesting that they have the same questions we do. They have the same struggles that we do. They have the same hopes that we do. Dealing with the same sins we do It's the same thing. And in here, there's a a little section called comforts. And this is the prayer. It says, my heaven-born faith gives promise of eternal sight. My new birth, a pledge of never-ending life. I draw near to you knowing that you'll draw near to me. I ask of you believing that you've already given. I entrust myself to you for you have redeemed me. I bless and adore you, the eternal God, for the comfort of these thoughts and the joy of these hopes. 
Let's pray together as we close out with this song. God, we're so thankful that you meet us on this earth. We're so thankful that you share in our humanity with us as we walk through questions, as we walk through doubt, as we walk through not just random ideas, but the realities of life, stuff that does not make sense, stuff that should not go this way. That we, we may not have the answer for all these things, Jesus, but we have you. And I pray that your presence might dwell more deeply within us. I pray for the soul that's here this morning who's like, I don't even know if I believe in God because there's too much junk in the world to believe in this. I pray for that soul this morning. They'd see that you are a God full of compassion and full of mercy, that your promises are true, that in Christ, all of your promises are fulfilled. In Christ, we see your goodness poured out for us. In Christ, we see your love for us, Jesus. Pray for those that are in trouble. I pray for those that are sick. pray for my mother-in-law. I pray for my good friend who's struggling. I pray for those that have doubts. I pray for those that are happy. pray for those that are struggling with sin. pray that we would get in here, that we'd find fellowship, that we'd find communion with the God who shares in our humanity. We trust your promises are good. And it's because of Jesus we pray. Amen.